Hey everyone, before we start today's show, I just wanted to thank everyone that submitted a review on Apple Podcasts for Kitchen Table Magic. Thank you very much. It really helps new listeners find the show by improving its discoverability on Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like to leave us a review, even though you don't have Apple Podcasts, just go to your iTunes and find Kitchen Table Magic in the podcast section and click on the little five-star thingy. Thanks everyone for your support. Kitchen Table Magic is presented by Hipsters of the Coast. Hipsters of the Coast is the premier news and strategy blog for the Magic the Gathering community. Read up on insightful columns written by an expert team of Magic Insiders. There's something for everyone. Discussion about legacy, commander, preview cards from the new set, and more. Go to hipstersofthecoast.com for news and strategy on all of your favorite formats. That's hipstersofthecoast.com. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Card Kingdom. With fast shipping, the best sleeves, deck boxes, binders, and all the modern legacy and commander staples you could ever want, Card Kingdom is there with the hookup. If you'd like to support the show, just use our affiliate link, cardkingdom.com slash KTM when you shop. Kitchen Table Magic is brought to you by Paragon City Games. They're a community-focused game store in Draper, Utah that cares deeply about their player base. Tune in to watch their live paper and moto streams at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames for daily legacy action. Sir, could you please introduce yourself? Again? <laughs> yes, again. <laughs> Hello, my name's Rashad Miller. I'm the technical director for Magic Gathering Grand Prix, and I'm part of the talent slash production team for the Pro Tours. Super fancy. Basically, what that translates into is a OG streamer of magic. I'm a magic streamer. <laughs> Should <laughs> but, I just say that? <laughs> yes. That's great. Let's do a quick sound check question. Okay. Rashad, could you tell us the worst time you lost paying for dinner? <laughs> I feel like you already know the answer to this. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know that it was the worst time because I'm going to spoil the ender. I got I, the, the ending. I got ice cream out of the deal. <laughs> so I don't know if it was the worst time. But I will tell you about the most expensive Credit card game? Is that, is, is, that, is that the nomenclature we want to use? I don't actually know, because when it happens, people just say to me, do you want to play for it? And so I, I don't actually know. It, it's what, the dinner credit card game? Yeah, we just say you want a game for it, mm -hmm. which is, I mean, do we need to explain what the sure. whole game? So basically, when we're all out, large group, having dinner at a restaurant, you know, we don't want to have the wait staff separate the bill into 10 to 15 you know, separate receipts. So we will get one bill and then we'll decide basically randomly who's going to pay the entire meal, which sounds like this great big gamble. But realistically, what you're doing is one person gets the honor of paying for dinner for their friends. You know, it's like, oh, I got, I'll pay for dinner this time. That's what it turns out to be. And um, so one time we were in... San Diego, it was San Diego, and we were at Nobu, which is a very, very delicious Japanese sushi restaurant. And it's not cheap. It's not cheap. <laughs> yeah, there are about Nobu's 10 of us. There are about 10 of us, I would say. And the bill was maybe a grand. Bill's about a grand. And usually what will happen is when we're all out together like this, we'll go, okay, are we going to game for the bill? And some people will be comfortable with that and say, sure. And they'll participate in a random selection of the person who's paying. But then there are people who are like, well, I am not comfortable with having to pay, you know, for this entire bill. So they will offer to then put in cash to pay for their portion of the bill. And we just call that buying out. But then we have then decided that, okay, well, that just adds ante to this entire process where instead of the person who's paying for the bill paying the remainder of that section, they still pay for the whole bill. <laughs> but then the second person selected gets all of the cash. Oh, my gosh. So basically one person's paying the bill and one other person's just getting a bunch of money. Wow. Not a bunch of money. So it turns out that at this 10-person meal at Nobu, eight people decided that they didn't want to chance it. So there were only two people left. <laughs> Me and Marshall Sutcliffe. Oh, no. And we're like, we look at each other, you're like, are we going to coin flip for, you know, <laughs> basically $700? And we're like, yes, we're going to coin flip for $700. <laughs> and I lost the coin flip. But 
<laughs> when it was all said and done, we went to a frozen yogurt place and he was kind enough, Marshall Sutcliffe, the kind, kind, generous individual he is, to buy me ice cream. <laughs> I didn't even eat it. <laughs> didn't even eat it. <laughs> I remember as it was told to me that you took, you loaded up the most you could load up. Oh, yeah. It was one of those places where you weigh the ice cream and the toppings. I, I, it was like a mound on top of the biggest cup. And then I, I took a bite. It was good. You took one but bite. I, but I don't really like frozen yogurt. I'm more of a custard person. So <laughs> I just couldn't. It was, got rid of it. <laughs> Checked it. Yeah. It's a thought that counts. And I appreciated it. <laughs> well, that's great. That's hilarious and that's great. And if, uh, listener, beware, if you're going to be eating dinner with Rashad anytime soon, you might have to play for it. So you have to be careful. <laughs> Gotta well, be careful. I guess I don't do too well. So maybe, maybe it's it's not a warning. It's a it's a recommendation for, <laughs> for the listeners. It's an invitation. <laughs> well, that's great. You sound good. That was a good sound check. Welcome to Kitchen Table Magic, a storytelling podcast featuring the amazing people of the Magic the Gathering community. I'm your host, Sam Tang. Join me and my guests as we share stories about what MTG means to us, how we got started playing Magic, the ups, the downs, the hilarious stories, and everything in between. In this episode, I'm talking to the pioneer of Magic streaming coverage, Rashad Miller. In 2009, Rashad set up a computer and pointed a 480p video stream at a pair of Magic players battling it out at a PTQ. The quality wasn't great, you couldn't really see the cards, and the audio was dodgy, but it marked the beginning of a journey that would change the way how Magic gets broadcasted. After that, Rashad went on to attend every Grand Prix he could, broadcasting matches of Magic across the internet. Eventually, Star City Games and then Wizards of the Coast picked up Rashad to produce Magic coverage as we see it today. Rarely do we have an influencer that's helped the gaming community in so many ways, and I'm excited to share my interview with Rashad Miller. Hey everyone, thanks for joining me on Kitchen Table Magic. I'm your host, Sam Tang, and today I'm here with the pioneering Rashad Miller. Rashad, how's it going? Great, how you doing? We're actually on a kitchen table. I know, we are actually on a kitchen table, my kitchen table. It's very, uh flavorful. Ooh. <laughs> You're like, ooh, we don't know how that's going to sound. <laughs> well, Rashad, thank you so much for being here today. You are here in town for GP Seattle. Yeah, I actually came a little bit early because um, I heard Sakura Khan was in town. Actually, I didn't. Actually, <laughs> actually, I did hear Sakura Khan was in town, but after it, it happened. But um, visiting some friends, because I have a lot of friends out in the Seattle area, and I figured I could break up my two-week-long vacation with coming to Seattle earlier before the double GP weekend. Mm, yes. It was a very interesting uh, double GP because we've got Legacy and Standard going on. Yeah. And so if you really want to just bring one deck, you could bring a mediocre <laughs> burn deck. <laughs> Ramen out red. In, in, like, both stand, in both formats. Will it survive past round one, though? <laughs> uh, it, might, it might get a win round one. <laughs> round two, I'm not so sure. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Rashad. I've wanted to talk to you for a while because, you know, coverage is an ever-growing, ever-expanding thing. And coverage is really the conduit, apart from Magic the Game itself, is a way to grow the game. Mm -hmm. And so, like all things, I wanted to start at the beginning. Where did you grow up and how did you find Magic? <gasps> Where did I grow up? I grew up in Chicago, Illinois. Still live there. Been there 40 years of my life. I found magic while I was in college because a friend that I made while I was playing um, Street Fighter, because I, I played a lot of fighting games in my teens and my early 20s. He was like, hey, you should you should try this game out too. It's called Magic. And, and you know what? I'd actually experienced magic before then. I saw some high school friends playing it. Like we were at a, um, a math tournament. Like a, I, was, I was a mathlete. I was a mathlete as a, as a child. And I saw them playing magic. I didn't know what it was. And I went, oh, what's that? It was like, oh, you don't wanna, you don't wanna get involved with this. It's take up all your time. You should just stay away. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll stay away. <laughs> I didn't know what it was at the time, but um, then it got reintroduced to me. And I loved it. It was another game that I could add to my repertoire, I guess. And um, I've been playing since then. Took a small break during Mask Block. Um, but um, 
yeah, it, it just clicked with me. And um, I'm a competitive gamer at heart. And it had a, it was a way for me to be competitive in a, you know, a different genre. So that's, that's how I got into it. And I'm still going. That's really cool. I mean, you played in GPs back in the day, and even you even got into the Pro Tour. Yeah, I, I played in a lot of GPs, and I played in five Pro Tours. Best finish was a top 14. Ooh. Yeah. You should ask me what place I got. <laughs> Which place did you get? 13. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, um, yeah, that was, that was probably the pinnacle of my professional career. That was like in 2008, I want to say. Which Pro Tours did you play in? Oh, well, my first Pro Tour was Pro Tour Kobe in 2004. That was the Affinity Pro Tour. So I played Affinity and I didn't do too well. I think I won Ford. And then I played in uh, Pro Tour in Hawaii. I played in Kyoto 2008, 2009 or something like that. Uh, I think there's another one somewhere else. Philadelphia, maybe? Did I play in the Skins one? I think I did. So Philadelphia. You know, I have oh, no oh, idea. Okay, so, <laughs> I haven't okay. been to any pro tours. Right. I wouldn't know. <laughs> my, my final answer is Kobe 2004, <laughs> Philadelphia, whatever year that was, Honolulu, whatever year that was, maybe 2006, Berlin 2008 or nine, and then Kyoto right after Berlin in 2008 or nine. Super cool. So you are no stranger to the competitive scene. No, and usually when I'm not playing in those pro tours, I was judging because I was a level three judge. Wow. So, so I I would be at a pro tour one way or the other. I would try to qualify, and if I couldn't qualify, I would either I would volunteer my time. I volunteer my time being a judge at that pro tour, and it was just a great way to a great excuse to travel around the world and to still be around Magic. That's sweet. Yeah. So when did all of this uh, streaming stuff start? The streaming stuff? Is that what you want to talk about? <laughs> I thought we were talking about me. I thought we were talking about Rashad's life and journey <laughs> into the professional <laughs> top 13 player that, no, I, I, I know what we want to talk about. So it was 2009. I was um, watching uh, a video game tournament. For those of you who are actually familiar with the video game scene, I was watching <clears throat> the Evo championship series which i think back then might have been still called b5 or it might have been evil by then and um i was just watching it and this was before streaming was really big you know it was being streamed on Ustream, which it's it exists but it's not really a big thing now uh twitch did not exist justin tv might have existed or just started becoming a platform for streamers and i'm watching this tournament and i'm chatting with a friend on on AIM, on AOL Instant Messenger, because that still existed. Actually, I think it just disappeared now. <laughs> yeah, it just died. <laughs> yeah. So I'm chatting with him, and, and it was a friend, it was a magic friend, uh, Ray Punzela. And uh, I was like, hey, you should watch this Street Fighter tournament. This is cool, because they're, they're broadcasting professional gaming on the internet. And then I, I was chatting with him, and I was like, you know, why doesn't magic have this? And in a way... It did because um, the top eights were streamed, just the top eight matches during each Pro Tour. So you'd get four times a year, you'd get to see three rounds of Magic. If one of my game loves can have it, why can't the other one? So two weeks later, I cobbled together a computer and a com and a, a, a camera, a camcorder. I figured out how to make them talk to each other, did, you know, from a bunch of internet research. And we broadcast a, the top eight of a pro tour at, in Chicago. And it had 100 viewers. The footage is still out there. It's on my, it's on my YouTube. Sweet. Uh, so I can, <laughs> we'll I, put I can links give it, to it. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give you the links. I'll give you the links to that. It's horrible. <laughs> it's unwatchable. Uh, it actually has one of the greater moments in magic and when i say greater it's just someone not realizing they could win but this was when standard had blood braid elf mm. so the the player playing john i think it was playing john uh was playing against his opponent his opponent was at two life and there was a card that was black black and it says target player loses two life draws two cards uh his opponent was at two he plays a blood braid elf Flips up that card. Target player loses two life, draws two cards. He targets himself. 
draws two cards, but he drew the card that that he drew. He drew something that would kill. Him. I think he drew a lightning bolt. So he drew a lightning bolt. He was like lightning bolt you, and everyone was like, you know, you could have just <laughs> targeted him with the. Signed in blood. Signed in blood. Signed in blood. I remembered the card. But uh, yeah, that's there. You can't really see the cards because it's horrible. and <laughs> Glare. Yeah, glare and 480p and, <laughs> and all the glory of 2009 video coverage. So after that, after that 2009 Pro Tour qualifier top eight, I went, you know what? Let's, we need to do more. So it was, basically it was me and Ray and that's it. We were a two-man crew going to whatever people would let us. We did another top eight of a Pro Tour qualifier. Uh, then we did uh, we would we did some of the SCG Opens. Back then, they were all just SCG Opens, and um, they weren't as frequent as they are now. Um, they kind of existed between GPs because there weren't as many GPs back then. Uh, and then we did a couple of those, and those were pretty successful. Then we went, okay, let's go to a GP. I think GP Tapa was our first one in 2000, the end of 2009. People loved it. It's still one of the more popular top eights that people have watched um, in the like the YouTube um, archives. And then I was like, you know what? Let's just see how many GPs we can go to. So 2010, and this, and meanwhile, like I had a nine to five. I actually worked in telecommunications and this was what I did Friday, Saturday, Sunday, instead of, you know, having a normal hobby, like, like people were sitting at home watching football, you know? So I would um, take Fridays off sometimes or take red eyes home and we would just go to GPs and broadcast it so people can watch the GPs. And it just kind of kept growing and growing. I mean, it keeps growing. Do you want me to keep going as it grows? <laughs> do you do you need to step in? And, and <laughs> do and I need this? to step in? <laughs> I don't know. Do I? I mean, well, basically, it started off as you broadcasting a top eight of a PTQ. Yeah, that, and it just was like very remedial. I mean, simple equipment. I mean, still complex equipment for back in the day, and it was still like that's because people were just watching 480p, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it, it was so it was obvious to the magic community at large. This there was something here. Yeah, this that, is a thing. This is a thing. This is a thing. Yeah. And you know, I mean, you mentioned Justin TV earlier. <laughs> <laughs> and for those of you who want a little bit of internet history, boring. Justin TV was the first name for Twitch. Yes. And Twitch blew up obviously and got acquired and got more investors and then went from Justin TV to Twitch. TV. And if you want to hear the history of Twitch, there I think there's a great startup episode, startup podcast by Gimlet Media, where they talk about the history of uh, Twitch. And oh, cool. It, and it started off as Justin TV. That's where I learned it from. It was very interesting. But, but people, I mean, people in the community caught on and they were like, Rashad, we want more. We want yeah. more of this. Yeah. And, and one of the um, main reasons that it kept growing was because of Star City Games. And Star City Games... This was still before SCG Live. Um, they were growing their open series. And they're like, hey, Rashad, we liked what you did at the few opens that you basically volunteered your time for. We want you to do all of the opens that we have or that you can't do. I'm like, sure, of course. Because honestly, it wasn't about making money. First of all, I had a job. You know, I guess that's the real reason. Uh, but I really just wanted magic to get to the same place where other games were you know this is this was still before like league of legends and things like that but street fighter if street fighter is at a point where they have five to six thousand people watching their biggest stage you know i want magic to be somewhere in there at least starting at least getting their foot wet in that same you know in the same pool so i started doing um the star city game stuff and i'm also saying to myself, I'm going to try to do every GP that I can. So when I'm not doing the Star City ones, I'm doing GPs. I'm still judging and playing in Pro Tours when I can. Um, I've had judging Magic tournaments at home. So I have a very Magic-filled life and schedule now outside of my job. 2011 comes around. This is when SCG Live became a thing and they hired me as their director They're like okay we want you to be the director for the scg live broadcast um also this is when i'm thinking i have to make sure that every gp is being covered but 
2000, the 2011 GP season was the season where the GP schedule blew up. Now, it's like twice as many GPs that it was the previous year. And I have had a feeling that uh, I probably wouldn't be able to do it because it was just too many events. But uh, Wizards of the Coast probably felt the same way. And obviously, they watch what whatever's going on in the community. If you're a podcaster, if you're a content creator um, of any sort, they're watching you and they're seeing what you're doing. And then if they see something they like, they're going to make sure that they facilitate that to exist. And Greg Collins came to me and said, you know, we like what you're doing. We want to make sure you can keep doing it. So we're going to pay you to go to every GP and cover it. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is where we want to be. This is where magic wants to be. This is where it should be. And it felt good. It felt good to know that, um, People were watching and not, not only fans, but, you know, the eyes of Wizards of the Coast were, were watching and they appreciated it and they understood that there was value in this, too. And that's that's kind of where the shift happened, not only for GP coverage and me, but also for Pro Tour coverage the next year. Wow. I mean, up until that point, GP coverage just did not exist. It just wasn't a thing because there wasn't a Rashad and Co. out there with the cameras and the setup. Yeah, and and really, when you ever talked about coverage of a Magic event in general, you were talking about Cyborg.com or DailyMTG.com, which is what it is now, where it's written match coverage, where you have you know turn by turn text coverage of what happened during the feature matches with deck lists and stuff like that, and the only time that you actually had video of these things happening was from the top eight of a pro tour and the pro tour production was i i would say that it's kind of um was a leftover production from the espn two days where you know a lot of cameras you got the boom you got people in the booth you got dynamic shots and there there's a lot there's a lot that goes on with making that production happen at a lot of dollars you know, and it wouldn't have made sense to put that much money and effort into a GP in any way, shape, or form, or like every round of a Pro Tour. And, you know, my being involved with the Pro Tour as um, the spotter, I used to be the spotter at those Pro Tours like from 2004 to 2009. I was the guy standing behind the people in the top eight, relaying life totals and doing other things, making sure the game state's great for the players, making sure nothing happens. And so I got to see how the production worked and I got to understand what was necessarily needed for you to give the information of a game state to people who are watching on the internet. And I was like, there's got to be a way to do this, you know, more affordably, you know, just bring the cost down. And and that was really my goal, just to make, just to devise a system for lower budget broadcast of live magic tournaments. I really meant it when I said pioneer, when I introduced you as a pioneer, because not a lot of people go up to the established institution of WOTC and ESPN and says, oh, I can do this on my own. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, let's let's face it. We're talking about corporations. We're talking about an established brand. We're talking about the big show that's gone on at that point for at least a decade already. And you, I mean, even though, I mean, you really had like an ancillary role. You were a judge and you were like, okay, I'm a spotter and you were part of the crew, but you were just like, you know what? I can pack up my, my Sony Handycam <laughs> and, my, and my Dell PC back yeah, in the day. You know, let's that, do it, I right? mean, That's literally what it was. I had one camcorder in a bag and I had a PC <laughs> in a suitcase, a bunch of cabling and wires in the other one. And I gave them to United and said, please don't break these things. <laughs> I hope they work on the other end. And, you know, I'd, I'd come out at the event and I'd hook up the, the camera to the computer and hope it turned on. You know, I had to bring monitors. And it was um, it was cheaper. It's also scary, you know? <laughs> it's just like I have this big laptop, well, big computer that I just have covered with foam in this hard, it was a hard case 
suitcase. So that made me feel a little bit better. But you know what? I watch I watch out the window when I'm on an airplane and how they, they kind of transport these bags. And I'm like, uh, maybe maybe it won't work. And a couple of times I had to open up my lap, the, the, the computer. I had to open it up and fix some loose ends, you know, <laughs> tidy some stuff up. But yeah, I didn't really look at it as taking on like the establishment and saying I can do this better. It was more... This needs to be done, and I understand that the way that it was being done at the time was because that's the way they knew how to do it. There wasn't a real... The way that the industry was kind of set up, it wasn't really set up for internet broadcast. It was set up to broadcast stuff on television. And then there was just a way to take that said television broadcast and send it to the internet. When if you're just staying in the sole internet streaming industry, all of your equipment can kind of be, you know, geared towards that goal. And turns out that webcams, like I use like webcams for like the booth cam and things like that. Uh, webcams and HDMI cables are a lot cheaper than, you know, giant boom cam- uh, cameras on booms and BNC Whatever technology they were using, I don't think SDI was out back then, but whatever technology was used for video at that level, it's not as cheap as an HDMI cable, you know? I mean, apart from the technological advancements and the technological differences of like all of us consumer internet tech versus established professional production tech, I mean, you also had to fight for real estate. I mean, it wasn't like they gave yeah. you a spot. <laughs> you had to fight for a table. Yeah, back then, I was back in 2010, 2011. Um, it's not like it is now. Now, you know, China Fireball, there's the one, um, one tournament organizer. And now everyone knows the value of a stream for your tournament, for your, for your game in general. Every game company knows the value of a stream for their game. But back in 2010, I had to convince a lot of people not not only that there was value in the stream because honestly if i convinced them that there's value in the stream that's not even the big that's not the biggest hurdle the biggest hurdle is convincing them to give me space and to give me internet and internet back then wasn't cheap still isn't cheap now even for the the trickle of internet that i needed back then it was still a lot of money for these organizers and I'm talking about less than a megabit up and down. I was, I mean, I maybe half, maybe it was 500 kilobits per second. Maybe wow. that, maybe that's what the stream was at, at at 480p. I know that I would either ask for internet from the tournament organizers who their sole purpose was to try to make money at these tournaments. These, this was for their sole income. So, well, not their sole income, but the tournament was a source of income for the tournament organizers. And I'm just asking to be a leech, really. I'm like, get, <laughs> give me some of your space and and internet so that I can show people feature matches. And they're like, why Why should I do that? Because of um, my judging and my playing and just being involved in Magic, I made a lot of connections with tournament organizers. I've worked with a lot of them. So most of them are like, anything you want, Rashad, you're, you're great. I'll, I'll help you. I'll help you do whatever this thing is you're doing, even if they didn't know what it was. There are some where I had to kind of convince that there's value or that I wouldn't really be in the way or people really just want this to happen. This is how many people would love for you to help me bring this tournament to the masses. I think about how far coverage has come, but mm-hmm. also what's really interesting is I also think about how it started because it was just really you and some webcams and some suitcases and begging TOs, please give me a corner. Yeah. <laughs> and now you wouldn't, now if there's a tournament that doesn't have a stream, people are like, wait, what's going on? <laughs> it's like blanked. Yeah. And, and in some way, I, I feel kind of responsible for this entitlement of web coverage for for an event and i i think that it should be there i think that if there isn't a stream for a tournament there must be a really good reason most of the constructed tournaments will have a stream i i I think the world has spoken the magic world has spoken when there were a few occasions that that wasn't the case you know people have listened and people know what needs to happen i guess 
That's so interesting. And of course, so SEG was like, come be our director. We need all this coverage. But when did Watsy, when did Wizards step up and be like, okay, it needs to, we need to update our coverage, not just in GPs, but also in Pro Tours. Yeah, you know, it was like right after the 2011 year, which was when they wanted me to continue with my Grand Prix, you know, keep the Grand Prix ball rolling. And it was 2012 that there were a lot of changes. I I guess it was, hey, if Rashad can kind of do it with duct tape and rubber bands, there's got to be a way to uh, to make this happen so that you can see every round of a pro tour. And it did, you know, coverage got expanded. And to, um, I guess, to my, well, to my knowledge, there wasn't any significant downgrades in the actual equipment that were that was used for the pro tour. So it seems like there were just more resources put that way, which is good because that means that as you're going further up the chain at Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro, they're understanding that there's a value to this. And now there are other games that are also becoming bigger presences on Twitch because now Twitch is a thing. Twitch was a thing like in 2011. Actually, I can, I'm going to go back after I finish this and talk about Twitch in 2011. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, um, it was... More people at Hasbro understanding, okay, well, I guess we need to put more resources into putting our game out in this new platform, in this new way to broaden our player base, broaden our fan base. And, you know, and it's it's been growing since then and it's still growing now. So back to Twitch, 2011. Either 2011 or 2012. But one of those years was the last year that... U.S. Nationals was the thing. This was when they changed from the national style qualifications for Worlds to the World Magic Cup. So there was a there was a shift where Nationals stopped. They've since come back. Now Nationals are back. But that Nationals, which was the last Nationals, was my first Nationals that I broadcast. It happened at, a, at Gen Con, I want to say. It was broadcast on Twitch because Twitch had become an actual, it was not not just in TV. Twitch had become its own gamer entity. This is the place where if you want to stream or watch games, come to us. Um, I broadcast the Fed Nationals tournament on Twitch and there were 6,000 concurrent viewers, which, you know, now that doesn't really seem like much. But for Twitch in general, that was a lot of viewers. 6,000 people were watching something on Twitch you know, and it was magic. A day or two later, I got a message on Skype from someone from Twitch. It was like, hey, we like the type of magic stuff you're doing. We want you to be, you know, a partner. We want you to partner with us in bringing more magic stuff to to Twitch. So I was the first partnered magic streamer on Twitch. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. And you know, it was the partner the partner program was way different then than it is now because it literally just started. Like there weren't any subscribers, there weren't emotes. I couldn't run an ad, you know. There was <laughs> there was like a revenue share, but it was it's not nearly as robust as it is now where they're really catering to, you know, the providers, the content providers to, you know, get more fans and subscribers to kind of build their base. It was kind of just hey you're the best magic streamer so we may ask you to help us do some stuff you know wow og confirmed so (laughs) i mean you were the original magic twitch streamer partner yeah (laughs) the first one yeah i don't think there was because magic online wasn't really a popular thing to stream there were some people who were streaming it. It, it 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 happened but because just game streams in general hadn't blown up yet it wasn't on a lot of people's radar. Was 6,000 like... 6,000 was a lot for Twitch. So it was made it maybe just been one of the biggest streams they've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, there there have been like some 10 and 20,000 person streams that I've even watched. Like some of the Street Fighter stuff would get that much. It was still before <clears throat> the big like League of Legends boom and things like that. It definitely got their attention. I didn't expect to get a contact from anyone from Twitch. I just thought I was, you know, I was just using a platform so that people can watch watch this tournament but it turns out u.s nationals is a very popular tournament and i'm actually glad that it's back in general wow that is so fascinating so what were some of the things that twitch needed your help with just understanding their viewership base or well it was more a we have this platform and we need to know what direction it should go and how to best serve all of our games 
because up until then there wasn't there wasn't a tabletop presence like tabletop on twitch is a thing now but it wasn't a thing back when they i don't even think they expected it to be a thing when they were like when they launched their platform it was a you're playing a video game you're screen cap you screen capture your video game and you send it to twitch which is very different from setting up cameras in a real world environment and capturing two people playing a tabletop game so just from that there's inherent differences in what's needed and expected from the platform you know that was I remember one of the first things they asked me for help with was um, their delay system, which, you know, up until then, there wasn't a way to delay your stream in case you're playing some, you know, a very high profile tournament and you needed your your information to remain private for some amount of time. And I remember they were talking with me and they're like, okay, so we, we want to test this stream delay. What's a good amount of time you think there should be a delay? And for magic, you need, I was like, wow, you probably need like a 10, <laughs> 10 minute delay, 15 <laughs> minutes. And I, I told her, I was like, yeah, maybe like, let's try like 10 minutes. And they were like, 10 minutes because you know like in, in Starcraft which was which was one of the biggest games at the time being streamed on Twitch you really only need like a minute like after a minute of a Starcraft player's movement you don't know what they're doing anymore right so it, it was unfathomable to them that I would want such a big delay which now it's it's common you know people are playing Hearthstone and people are playing Magic and people are playing all these card games where you need at least a 10 minute delay like for their PTQs and and their high profile tournaments and back then they're like okay well this is probably going to stress our system and you know we did a little test and it, it worked um, I never ended up implementing it in any way but I was glad that I can give them that type of information but I think just things like that they weren't really thinking about, they weren't thinking about anything beyond the computer and the laptop and maybe the tablet as far as content being used on their platform. That is so fascinating. <laughs> All these early things, you know, we forget sometimes that these platforms and these technologies that we're so used to today, they're organic. They're made by people. They're made by communities. And they're tested out in the field in real world situations. Yeah, and they start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, they, they do. They have to start somewhere before they get to the things that you know and love. Rashad, coverage has grown so much since 2009. Every single, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> every single time I watch um, any kind of a Pro Tour, from Pro Tour to Pro Tour set to set, I see visible changes and visible improvements in coverage. Graphics, layout, format, scripts, the way commentators would be, just the flow of it. Everything is feeling more polished. Um, you know, I had the privilege of going to Pro Tour Ixalan to cover part of it for Team Metagame Gurus. And so TJ and I, we really saw how things developed. So I got to kind of be there, not as a player, but be there as like third-party coverage. What do you see in the future of Magic coverage? Well, I mean, it's it's obviously going to keep growing because, again, just like platforms, this is something that's organic and we're learning from mistakes. We're seeing what works, we're seeing what doesn't work. We're building on the things that work. And there, I mean, it's not perfect yet. And I don't know if the goal is perfection. The goal, because the goal is just to provide the best experience for for you guys. You guys at home, you're trying to watch and understand and learn about magic. And and even now, there's still there's still information that we'd love to be able to give you, have you have access to more easily, more readily. But magic's a very complicated game, and technology is catching up. Technology is catching up, but it's not exactly where it needs to be for us to do everything we love to be able to do, you know? So I think where magic is going, it's magic is magic coverage. It's basically using what we are and where we are now, like technology-wise and just the things that we have learned from the past to give you the most informative and intuitive and enjoyable experience that kind of, you know, the industry is a, is allowing us to do like technology wise mostly i'd love for there to be a way for you to just watch the stream and whenever you're confused in any way about a card or even an interaction you just push a button like a little paper clip comes up and tells you how it works <laughs> <laughs> clippy <laughs> oh clippy do you need help with that deck <laughs> <laughs> i'm here if you need any help yes or no <laughs> 
<laughs> That's funny. Um, you know, in a lot of my interviews um, throughout the podcast, I've spoken to so many different people, personalities, players, pillars of the community, pro players. The discussion has been more recently about coverage. You know, what Rich Hagen said, what BDM said, what Marshall Sutcliffe said. You know, coverage is changing. Coverage is growing. Coverage feeds into understanding of the game, teaching about the game, spreading the word about the game, and like hype and getting excited about the competitive aspect of the game. You know, there's a lot of people that want to get into coverage. There almost seems like these different paths in the way the community gets to enjoy magic. We can mm -hmm. either be get better as a player and go the pro scene, or we can get better at talking about the game, casting and be being commentator to the game. Mm -hmm. What, what advice do you have for people who are interested into getting into commentary? Well, the method that I see that works the best, and honestly is kind of the same method that I used, create something, create something in magic. Keep creating it, do it well, make sure it's something you love because then you're going to do it a lot better. They're watching. They're, I don't want them to seem like they're, they're the, the eyes in the sky watching you. <laughs> but you know what? They're genuinely invested and interested in what the community has to say and how they are, you know, the, type of, the types of content that they're creating and how they're talking and displaying their game. If they see something they like, one way or another, they're going to make you a part. They're going to make sure that you can keep doing it. I mean, that that's what I did. And that and honestly, that wasn't my goal. My goal was to get Magic caught up to a lot of other games. And it's caught up and catching up. And I think it's in a good spot. And it's the trend is, is good. The trend is going in the right direction. And they just saw that that's what I was doing. And they helped me do it. I mean, Marshall Sutcliffe. I don't think he made his podcast so that he could then eventually become a caster on the Pro Tour and Grand Prix. I'm trying to think when he created his podcast, if that was even an option. I don't know that there was a lot of opportunity for anyone to become, you know, a commentator when he created his podcast. He created it because there's, this was this new game that he learned about and now loves and wanted to get better. And so he just created this this way for him to learn and to teach others. And, and it got him to where he is now. Yeah, I mean, when I interviewed him, he was just talking about creating limited resources as a way to scratch his own itch. He was just like, I saw the huge amount of information in the depth of drafting as a format. And, and he then, was like, let's just keep writing these guides and yeah, let's and, keep going. And there wasn't really anyone else doing that. There was a, yeah. there was a, there was a lot more concentration on the constructed part, parts of Magic, which... You know, in a lot of ways, they're, I mean, they're both complex and they both have a lot of things that you can say, but mostly people like to see deck lists and which is, which is why coverage or content would lean towards constructing your own decks because then you get to tell your own story of magic cards. Whereas limited is a story about the system of how you play instead of the story of what you want to present in the deck that you brought, you know? So it's, I mean, it's a different, definitely different strategies. And one was very less explored than the other. And there was just this empty spot. Like I saw, I saw an empty spot. There was no, there was no live coverage at GPs or anywhere. There was an empty spot. I dove in and I kind of made something happen with it. If you can find, if you can be lucky enough and find that void in the magic community that no one's in yet, and it's something that you really like, then it's just gonna happen. You know, you, you're gonna make, you're gonna be successful. You're just gonna be successful. Rashad, you've been doing magic coverage for a while now. What are some tips or pieces of advice that you can give to people in terms of good skills to have if they want to be good at coverage? Well, are we talking about? See, now you're saying I've been in coverage a while. I have been. I've been in the commentary role, which. You know, I was in mostly for necessity because at the time when I started the the coverage at GPs, there wasn't there were no commentators and it was just me and either Ray Ray Punzelon or Ben Swartz or you know, random pro that we would get in or Rusty Kubis also doing some tech stuff. The skills that I brought to the commentary was mostly from being the only one that did it, you know? So I had a lot of experience, but there's more areas in coverage than just being a commentator. So I'm not going to talk about the commentator roles, you know, because I, I did it. I did do it for a long time, but it, 
it really wasn't my passion. My passion was probably more of like what you're doing, which is like podcasting and the more technical side, audio and video of creating content for magic in that way. And really the best way to get better and to do well is just to practice. And I know that's cliche, you know, there's only one way to Carnegie Hall, but it's true. You know, I started off not even knowing how to get my capture card to work with whatever capture software I'm using. I didn't even know the names of capture cards or the names of software. And even back then, the one like the software and capture cards that I used, they're not around anymore. You know, it's just go on the internet, find a blog, someone has some information for you and start there and then just kind of keep building on top of that. You know, you build on top of that and then you're going to start becoming the expert in at least the things that you are familiar with, like the specific equipment that you use, the software that you use, you become the person who understands how those things work. And then once that becomes your comfort zone, you just naturally start working on all the other things, all the other parts of either if, if you are the person who is talking and interviewing people in a podcast, you're just gonna you're just gonna get better because now you're not worrying about, oh, is the sound gonna be okay? Is my editing gonna be all right? And even once you start editing podcast after podcast after podcast, parts of that's gonna get easier and easier and easier, and you're gonna start adding little bells and whistles. Without even knowing, he's like, oh, this, I've never really liked the way that this intro doesn't fade into me talking. Let me just tweak this a little bit, just add a little bit more production value to my, to my content, you know? So it's, it's practice. I don't know what else to say. I I feel like you're looking for a magic answer, (laughs) (laughs) magic answer, ha ha ha. But you know, it's. It really, it really is just you keep doing what you love. And as long as you love doing it, you're going to keep doing it. No, I think that's great. Okay, everyone, we're going to have more from Rashad coming up. But first, a word from our sponsors. Rashad, you have a Patreon supporters gift for us. Could you tell us what it is? Oh, it's 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 Lanawar Elf. Ooh, Lanawar Elves. Hopefully I love from that. Um, Dominaria. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> I'm not made of money, Rashad. I'm sorry. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll, um, I'll donate one. Is that enough? One's enough? <laughs> I need like 30. <laughs> so why Lanawar Elves? Well, I've always been a green mage. And I think this is because that's where I had my first real success. I've also had some not so real success. Like my first top eight at States was with Mono Green. Uh, like Mono Green, Stompy, I think Land Oil might have been in that deck. Maybe not. It must have been. Anyway, but when I qualified for my first uh, Pro Tour, it was with, uh, it was in Extended, which is not a format now. It's kind of a mix between Modern and Legacy, I would say now. And I qualified with a Mono Green Ruffalo's deck. It was called an Elves deck, even though it didn't really have a lot of Elves. It was more of a Ruffalo's Living Wish um, Guy's Cradle deck that had a toolbox and it used Deranged Hermit to generate a lot of mana. And you just kind of either lock them down or you like kill a bunch of stuff in Master Core. Basically, you get a bunch of mana and then you live and wish for something to do with all that mana. Uh, but that's the tournament, that's the that's the deck that I won my first Pro Tour qualifier with. Wow. Yeah, so I think that has a lot to do with it. It's just that I have success with green even though the other decks that I've had success with have not had Land Royal, but I, I just kind of always want to find a way for green to kind of exist in an environment. And Land Royal is where it all starts, right? Yeah. You got to start a list before Land Royals. <laughs> yeah, I know. Gosh. Every list, the first thing, because you go kind of like by CMC, mm-hmm. you're like, Lanamore Elf. Because yep. you're thinking about turn one, right? Yeah, and you don't want Birds of Paradise. Well, honestly, Birds of Paradise, they work too. But when I got into Magic, it was an era where Birds of Paradise wasn't in standard. It was more, it was just an extended card. And Lanamore Elf was the only option you had for turn one, you know, mana accelerant as a creature. And you can attack. Yeah, it attacks for one. Yeah, I mean, versus attacking for zero. Yeah, I mean it's no um, noble hierarch, but you know we can never we can never get that good again. <laughs> We're never getting that back. <laughs> Rashad, what was your favorite Lanowar Elves art? I like the brain elf. The 
the what? The brain elf, you know. The brain elf. You know, the, oh, the, the, oh, the yeah. alpha from the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, know, okay. I know it's not a brain. It's like, oh, I think I it's it. like. Head a, tattoo. Yeah, head tattoo, but it kind of looks like it's the brain elf. I call it the brain elf. Oh, you call it the brain elf. Yeah, because yeah. um, I remember when I was a kid, I was just like, I was like, oh, yeah, like it's looking to the side. And I always just kind of felt like that was like the standard. And then one day there was like some seventh edition Lanowar elves, and it was just kind of like a. Like just a person standing there. Yeah, and like, it kind of was. It, at first, it felt a little hokey to me because I was like, <laughs> I don't want to see, I just want the traditional Lanowar elf. And I was like, okay, apparently there are other arts. But now as we're seeing uh, in the upcoming set Dominaria that the whole body elf, and now there's even more elves in the background. What? <laughs> it's oh. like stepped it up, right? Oh man, you know what? I have four, um, I think they, they're not beta, but they are probably... Japanese, four black border Japanese land oils uh, oh. with with the with the brain elf art. Foreign foreign black border brain yeah. elf. Yeah, you wow. know. Well, you had to you had to get either beta or some type of foreign cards back then in order to get black border cards. That that's a struggle you all don't have to worry about. Like all of the cards that were printed in the U.S. from the base sets were all white border for for a long time up until. I don't even know. I think 8th edition was the last time they did it. No, no, 9th yeah. edition was still white border. Yeah, so, so then 10th edition so they M10 changed. So 10 or something Ugh. like that. Was no, that it was it ten, no, it was tenth tenth straight up the big X. Yeah, 10th edition. the X. Ugh. So before then, if you wanted a black bordered base set card, you had to look in other in another language. So it was it was kind of it was a commodity, you know. You that was you had to look and try to find black border cards. But now everything's black border, which is a great move. It's a great change. Just letting you know the struggles that we had <laughs> in my day, walking uphill both ways to find our black bordered land oils. That's all I'm trying to say. A lot of love goes to making kitchen table magic, and you can also help contribute bring these stories from the magic community to the rest of the world with your support at patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Your generous support helps to pay for audio equipment, editing software, and web hosting so this awesome show can live on the internet for all eternity. Mucho thanks to my Patreon supporters, past, present, and future, who are amazing people that always draw a perfect opening seven. If you'd like to join the squad, head on over to patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Thanks, everyone. This episode of Kitchen Table Magic was brought to you by Paragon City Games. Kitchen Table Magic has been all about the origins of the game and the members of the community. And as a community, we've come a long way since the game first started. Apart from the kitchen table, the only other places in your local community to play Magic are at local game stores. And that's why places like Paragon City Games are so important for our community. At Paragon City Games, you'll find a spacious and clean showroom with lots of elbow room for weekly magic events. You'll find thoughtful accessories like die-hard metal dice and handcrafted wooden deck boxes. You'll find a huge supply of legacy, modern, and standard staples, sealed product, and tabletop games. It's places like Paragon City Games with their friendly staff that allow local magic communities to gather in. And if you can't make it there in person, be sure to watch their weekly stream at twitch.tv slash paragoncitygames. Remember to spread the love with a like on Facebook and a follow on Twitter for Paragon City Games. They have great online reviews that shows their commitment to excellent customer service for their player community. Kitchen Table Magic is sponsored by Card Kingdom. Cardkingdom.com is a great place to shop for Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, pre-constructed decks, and gaming accessories. They have a huge selection of Magic cards, from the latest sets to an ever-flowing supply of modern, commander, legacy, and standard staples. Card Kingdom also loves to buy Magic cards. They'll offer you cash or in-store credit for your Magic cards. And if you're new to Magic, you'll love playing any one of their pre-constructed battle decks built by Card Kingdom. Be sure to sign up for Card Kingdom's email newsletter to receive coupon codes, special deals, and deck techs by Magic Pro Chris Van Meter. Card Kingdom has so much to offer, fast shipping, great customer service, so I hope you'll check them out. And if you'd like to help support Kitchen Table Magic when shopping at Card Kingdom, please use our affiliate link. Just go to cardkingdom.com slash KTM when you shop. 
Okay, everyone, and we are back. Rashad, I have some rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Well, can I give you slow answers? <laughs> okay, you can give me slow answers. You're going to edit them so that they seem really fast, though. Like, speed up the audio. Okay, or you just, like, <laughs> slow it down. Well, I, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> okay, here we go. Rashad, rapid fire question number one. Of the five colors of magic, white, blue, black, red, and green, which is your favorite color and why? Well, I'm going to say green, and I feel like I'm going to be repeating my, <laughs> myself for all you that, that skip to the end of the podcast, I guess I can I could say. It's, it's the color, it is the color that I had the most success with in the past, but it's also, you know, I, I like to, I like to mana ramp. I'm a mana ramp person. Even when I'm not playing green, I find ways to cheat mana in other colors. So if I'm playing a deck, it's probably because I'm cheating mana in one way or another. Oh, I love mana wrapping. It just feels so much better when you're playing a spell that's just several turns ahead. Yeah. And you just feel like you have an advantage in the game. Like you're on turn four and I'm on turn seven. Yeah. I, li I like the way this costs, but usually I only have like two cards in hand. <laughs> <laughs> like I have other problems. <laughs> <laughs> and what would you pair green with? Pear green, pear green with. What do you mean? Like if you were to like, mix it up with another color, like, does colorless count? Like colorless. <laughs> like okay. is that a? Well, I would say, um, doesn't really matter. I've played like I've played green, black, green, blue, green. I guess green, white would be my least favorite pairing. Green, red, second least. But um, blue and black, blue or black, saltai. Not blue and black. Not blue and black. Blue or, or black. black. Okay. Yeah, blue or Simic black. Simic or Golgari. Although my Magic Arena deck is kind of salty. Mm -mm -mm. So maybe it's okay. Maybe I'm okay with that. <laughs> Rashad, rapid fire question number two. If you could change something about Magic the Gathering, what would it be? What would I change about it? It's perfect. What would I change about it? Uh, what would I change about it? Actually, I actually have to think about this one. Uh... You asked me earlier. I should have thought about it then. <laughs> you know me, the hard-hitting questions. I know. What What would I change about Magic the Gathering? Uh, I don't know. Let's go. Okay, we got. Uh, you I can say you can you can be like I'm not gonna. You can I'm be like. It's just Magic to. is perfect. I can't change a thing about it. Yeah. Feels like a cop out. Well, I mean. All right, I'll stick with that for now. Okay. Ma magic is perfect. I hope everyone's watching and listening at Hasbro and Wizards of the Coast. <laughs> <laughs> you did great. No right. changes. More, more people with hats. There you go. More people with hats. Yeah, more, more art with hats. <laughs> okay. Rashad, rapid fire question number three. If you could give something to every Magic player, what would it be? I would give them land drops until turn five with good blocks. Okay. Just a gift. Just, <laughs> just just the gift of not missing your land drops to turn five and having good blocks along the way. So none of that auto-lose stuff. No. <laughs> Stay in the game. But not beating them down. You can have a bunch of one fives. One fives and, and, and one fours. <laughs> oh, six walls. There you go. No, good blocks. Better blocks. You can have one power. Maybe two. Okay. Maybe two. Rashad, rapid fire question number four. What do you see in the future of Magic the Gathering? I see arena in the future. <clears throat> I think that that's going to be the new, that's going to be the new hotness. I think that's going to be where when you have a friend that says, hey, what's magic and how can I get more involved in it? You're going to be able to point them to magic arena. And that's, I think that's the immediate future. I don't think that's like something that's far off. And I mean, even if like right now I'm, I'm playing it, I'm enjoying it. So it's, I am happy that I will be able to say, hey, you like magic and you like playing games on your computer. You should play this. So I, I think I, I see Arena as the future. Yeah, I do too. It's, it's been great so far. Yeah, I think Paper Magic is still going to do strong, go yeah. strong, and I'm going to love that, and I'm going to be a big part of that, I hope. I think they're both going to coexist, and it's going to be awesome. Yeah, I'm a purist, so I'm not a big fan of Magic the Gathering online, but I love Arena because Arena is visually different enough that I know when I'm playing it, I'm like, it's not trying to be Magic. And then when I play Paper Magic, I'm like, ah, mm -hmm. the old pastime. <laughs> And last, Rashad, do you have any asks or requests of the listening audience? Oh, well, I guess I would request that keep watching Magic and keep loving Magic and also keep watching and loving the other games that you love because 
the one thing that I learned as a gamer, kind of a renaissance gamer, is that it all it's all kind of interweaved. It's all you can get things from one game and apply them to the other because I used to think that my love for Street Fighter and my love for Magic the Gathering, there was really there was just these two separate worlds, entities that I couldn't really that like I couldn't apply one thing to the other. And then it kind of just clicked as I was playing Street Fighter. I was like, you know what? If I thought about like the matchups and the way that I play Street Fighter in the same way that I think about matchups and the way that I play certain ways and magic, I'd be a much better Street Fighter player. And that kind of happened. You know, I, I took a break from Street Fighter, started playing magic a lot. And then when I went back to Street Fighter, I was like, you know what? You can think about this game. It's not just, you know, being fast and having reactions and doing all this stuff like the young person I was. It's more about having a game plan before you even, well, there were, we were at arcades, before you even put the quarter in, in the machine. You know, you have a game plan before you start, which you have, you know, when you play Magic, like, you know, I, I'm playing mono green and I'm going up against mono blue or whatever. I already have a game plan. I already know what I need to do in order to be successful in this matchup. Then I applied that to other games and I was like, oh, this is, this is how gaming works. It's not separate games. It's just this is games game theory and this is games this is gaming Rashad I just wanted to take a moment to thank you for everything that you've done in the past decade for magic coverage I mean really you know from day one being like rolling up your own sleeves and taking it into your own hands you know who knew that magic coverage would be what it is today who knew all these people would watch and get inspired by magic coverage because one day you were like you know what i think i need to point a camera in some nerds faces <laughs> you know i mean and also like i think it's just great that you've even been able to contribute to twitch in its very early days of just kind of like here's what it could be here's what people could be interested in here's here's how the platform could work so I just wanted to thank you. I just, I don't know if very much of the community understands how much of your heart and soul is actually in the bedrocks of, of magic, right? And we have a brighter future now because of people like you, really. So thank you so much, Rashad. Oh, thanks for having me. And for all you creators, just get out there and create. A big thank you to Rashad for taking some time out of his day to meet up with me for this interview. It's super special when I get to record with guests in person. The audio quality is so much better. Rashad mentioned an old school video of that first PTQ he streamed. If you want to check it out, I'll have links in the show notes at kitchentablemagic.org. And go say hi to Rashad on Twitter at Rashad Miller. R-A-S-H-A-D-M-I-L-L-E-R. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this week's show. I've got some new Patreon supporters that's joined the team. I've got some new Patreon supporters, so I'd like to take a moment to thank everybody. Brian Marcus, James L., Alex, Trevor, Caitlin, Aaron M., Neil, James G., Aaron C., Corey, Chad, Logan S., The Magic Man, Sam, Jesse, Ben, Nick, Eternal Dirtles, Matthias, Charlie, Gerite, Scryfault, Ian, Matt, Prescovi, Carl, Logan F., Jaina, and Kyle. Thank you, Jaina and Kyle, for joining the team. Listeners, if you'd like to get special gifts for my interviews, become a supporter at patreon.com slash kitchen table magic. Your financial contribution goes to making the show better and helps keep it running by paying for audio equipment, software, and server costs. And if you shop at Card Kingdom, there's another way to support the show. Just use our affiliate link, cardkingdom.com slash KTM when you shop. A big thank you again to all of my Patreon supporters, past, present, and future. Your support of Kitchen Table Magic allows me to share stories about the amazing people in the Magic the Gathering community with the world. I've created a new YouTube channel called PlayMTG. It's an upbeat, fast-paced new YouTube channel featuring deck techs from the pros, learn-to-play tutorials, level-up advice, card discussion, MTG community news, and more. Just go to youtube.com slash C slash PlayMTG. You'll find links to the PlayMTG YouTube channel on facebook.com slash PlayMTG. And be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Play underscore MTG. I'm looking forward to creating new video content, and I've got some cool collaborations in the works. Please be sure to subscribe to Kitchen Table Magic on Apple Podcasts. And if you love the show, please leave us a review. It really helps other people find this podcast. Kitchen Table Magic is also on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, Hipsters of the Coast, and mtgcast.com. Follow the show on Twitter at KTM Podcast, where you'll find me tweet memes. Yeah, mostly memes. The show is also on Facebook.com slash Kitchen Table Magic Podcast. All of the show notes are at kitchentablemagic.org. Remember to listen to past episodes and be sure to share KTM with a friend.
Coming up on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic. Do you like spicy food? Can you count to 20? Are you impatient with your slow opponent? Are you not interested in blocking with your creatures? Having fun with just a basic mountain? Why bother with game mechanics? Let's just burn to the face. If these sound completely reasonable to you, then you're gonna like this next episode. Burn spells, haste creatures, direct damage, basic mountains. That's right, we're talking about magic's most impulsive color, red. Red can win out of nowhere and just as quickly run out of gas. We'll be talking to some red mages and also a walking, talking basic mountain. Join us for part four of our five-part series on Wooberg as we add spice to our favorite game, all on the next episode of Kitchen Table Magic.